This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. I was already in tears. How good was Delta? When he started singing Angels and dedicated it to Shane Warne. How did the voice go off? I was wondering, oh, is everybody kind oh, of with no. John Farnham having a moment there? Oh, no, did they it work? Went, oh, nuts. Did it? Oh, Corrie, it was so beautiful. I mean, what a lovely thing to do, to pay tribute to someone who is recovering from cancer surgery. No, I agree. At the grand final on Saturday, I've got to say, tempers were running high behind the glass at the official function. A couple of CEOs having a real crack at each other. There is some real anger at the Hawthorne Football Club for not giving anyone the heads up, for landing the competition in this mess. But if the allegations are true, I don't know really know what else they could have done. But on Kelly Underwood, she made a great speech. She's a bit like you, kind of 20 years ago. She's just broken so many barriers. She's called the game. Which She's is something called I the would, game. Would have not a hope in hell of She's doing it. She's called the game. Very difficult. Some of us drank a little bit more than others, Caro. They did, Corrie. Some of us had two martinis <laughs> instead of one, didn't they, Caro? Well, you didn't have one, so, you no, know. I was it driving. Had, it had been paid for, so what, what could I do? White tulips represent forgiveness, so when you're rude to me, Caro, you can arrive at my doorstep with a <laughs> okay. nice bouquet of white tulips. Well, I won't do that if you're allergic to them, if you're already cross with yeah, me. Take this. <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 237. I am Corey Perkin and... As usual, every week I'm here with my dear friend Caroline Wilson. Hello, Caro. We've seen a lot of each other lately, oh, haven't we? We had a big night last night. That's why we sound a bit scratchy this morning. Um, we have seen a bit of each other and it's been great to have you back from the land of football. We're going to talk about uh, the grand final, a uh, bit of a post-mortem and also where to from here for... Well, for a number of characters, the Hawthorne Football Club, the North Melbourne Football Club, the AFL, Gillam McLaughlin... Joel Selwood, there's a lot happening in the footy world, Caro. You have a book and also you have been watching something on the little screen, which I'm dying to hear about. I have a terrific recipe today, Caro, for a zucchini slice. I thought given that it's spring, um, the zucchinis are a good price at the moment, I thought that would be uh, that would go down a treat. Is it easy to make? Everything that you and I talk about on this well, podcast is sometimes easy to it's, Sometimes it's a little bit tricky. No, that's our, that's our modus operandi, isn't it? Just a reminder to everyone, Carol and I will be propping up the bar at the Prince Wine Store special event on October the 26th. It's a Wednesday, so from about 5 or 5.30, Carol and I are going to be down at Prince Wine Store in South Melbourne. If you haven't been there, it's an absolutely beautiful grog shop. It's really beautifully laid out. Miles and the gang will be there to talk us through some spring specials. And of course, anybody who comes and if you want to buy a box uh, on the night, you'll get the special Don't Shoot the Messenger discount. But we're really looking forward to that. And details of that event are on our show notes. Or you can contact Miss Jane via email and just ask her how is the best way to acquire. Well, you don't actually have to acquire a ticket, Carol. I don't. No, think. just turn up. Just it's, rock it's not up. a full blown podcast. We're just going to be there to have a chat, taste some wine. You can buy some wine for your Christmas hampers or for your spring celebrations and. October 26th, probably yeah. a bit early for Christmas. Don't want to stress people out. Looking forward to that. I bought the spring mix dozen. I think I said last week. You did too. It is just, there are some beautiful wines there. 
Really um, beautiful. Carol, we've had some correspondence. Thanks, everybody, for sending in your emails and your notes on Instagram. We love, love, love hearing from you, so keep them coming. This is from Sarah Drennan, who said, Hi, Caro and Corey. I absolutely love the podcast and look forward to listening every week. Now, look, can I just say, that's not why we love receiving emails. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even, even ones that are not so happy with our performance, we're happy to take two, but I do love an email that starts like that. Um, Sarah continues, I have cooked many recipes, read many books, and watched many of the television shows and movies you've recommended. We have also enjoyed some delicious wines from Prince Wine Store. I had to write to, today to say what an extraordinary Extraordinary book, Still Life Is. Oh, oh, the Sarah Winman. I loved it and it has become one of my all-time favourite books. My husband is now reading it and loving it as much as me. Thanks very much, Sarah. And she also says, I also wanted to say that Caro's dress on Offsiders this weekend was so beautiful and I would love to know what brand it is. Thanks for all the great tips, Sarah. What was the brand? Well, there's a story about that dress, Sarah. It's actually um, an Oriton dress. Oriton has just got some beautiful clothes. Yes, you and Trudes are keen on Oriton dresses, aren't you? Absolutely love them. It, they're expensive. But last year there was, um, last spring, girls kept turning up at things in this beautiful linen sort of sort of shirt, shirt dress with puffy sleeves and it came in a oh, beautiful yellow puffy, colour. Puffy sleeves. Yeah, as my brother says, good on the larger lass. <laughs> I think he's imitating, I think he's imitating... Oh, someone from someone from Fast Forward or an old show like that. Um, but there was a yeah, there was a yellow, there was a beautiful apricotty one, and then I saw online there was a it was called Botanica Botanica Botanical Print or something, and it's this beautiful linen with just beautiful little posies of flowers all over it. It was it cost a bomb, and I didn't. I mean, I probably knowing me, I would have bought it, but I didn't because by the time. I saw it. I think it was out of stock. And then it bobbed up online on one of Origin's sales um, in about April, May this year. And it was less than half price. Oh, so happy days. I bought it to take overseas for Rose's wedding. I ended up thinking, oh, look, it's linen, a bit heavy, a bit big. I, I won't take it overseas. And popped it on last Sunday. And boy, oh boy, lots of compliments. Oh, meltdown at the ABC it, it was, television it was a re- headquarters. Look, Get on it's Sarah, isn't it? Get on the Oriton website. They have really good sales, really good accessories. You know, it is expensive, but the sales are amazing. That's a great tip. So it was a big weekend for you. You finished your, I think it was your final football commitment doing the Offsiders on Sunday morning, wasn't it? For for a few months, or are we going to see you bobbing up over the um, well Hawthorne fracker? I think this Hawthorne story won't go away, and if something really big happens, I remember Footy Classified came back out of season a few times during the Essendon drug scandal, and if these allegations are proven in any way to have substance, then I'd think this will be as big. Well, it'll be a bigger story. It, it's actually, you know, what Alistair Clarkson is being accused of is probably the worst thing a coach has ever been accused of in in my time in football. Mm. I mean, it's he's horrendous. come out quite strongly uh, this week. Denying vehemently, so um, again, again, hopefully he will have an opportunity to put forward his side of the story. Well, there, the four families basically gave evidence as part of this review into um, cultural safety or lack thereof at the Hawthorne Football Club. Um, that was as a result of comments made by Cyril and Shannon uh, Sam Rioli, Cyril Rioli and his wife Shannon. Um, a review began... Three or four families were interviewed. A lot of the women involved were the ones who really spoke up and had wanted to speak up for some time. 
Um, but the problem now, and, and their their allegations are just horrendous. You know, one one woman, one couple alleged that Alistair Clarkson urged them to have a termination um, of their unborn child, thinking it would not be good for them at that time to have a baby. Now, you know, Alistair Clarkson has vehemently denied this. And um, the reviews now, everyone sort of seems to have seen it, which is a real problem. Um, it, it, the minute um, Hawthorne got this review and looked at it, they went, heavens, we, we're not equipped to deal with this. They gave it to the AFL. But procedurally, it's a just a nightmare, Corrie, because no one, no one has yet decided how these allegations are going to be tested. The, the families involved don't trust the AFL to run the process. The AFL is saying, well, you, you've given us this r- report. Um, if You can go to the police. I mean, we're not insisting that we interview you, but that's the way we want to do it. We, we, want, we want to run an inquiry. We'll put four people on the panel, two Indigenous, two of them will be women. It'll be a fair panel, but they, ca- they basically just can't agree on how it's going to happen. So you've got lawyers at five paces. Everybody's got a queue. A, I was going to say a Queen's Council, but it's a King's Council representing them, including Chris Fagan up in Brisbane, the Brisbane coach who's part of these allegations, who's allegedly witnessed some of these situations with families being broken up, etc. You've got an AFL commissioner, Andrew Newbold. He's stepped aside. He's denying that he um, was in contact with one of the women back in, I think it was um, 2012 or 13, whatever year it was, around the time he was president of Hawthorne. Although there's email evidence that he was, he's saying he never saw these emails. It, it's it's a mess. It's a mess. And everyone's at, at the grand final on Saturday, I've got to say, tempers were running high behind the glass at the official function. I mean, you had Delta Goodrum swanning in at one point, looking gorgeous, and everyone fawning all over her, and people, you know, happy Geelong people, but couple of CEOs having a real crack at each other. There is some real anger at the Hawthorne Football Club for not giving anyone the heads up, for landing the competition in this mess. But, you know, I mean, if the allegations are true, I don't know, really know what else they could have done. Well, I wonder whether it goes to court if somebody like Alistair Clarkson uh, sues for defamation. Well, if, if, if these allegations are not true... Then he his reputation has been completely sullied. It's just really interesting, Corey. It'll be interesting to know whether um, it, it was all. If it is true, if some some of these things did happen, was it racially based? Was it just the way an incredibly controlling? Well, you know, coaches are dictators to a degree, and Alistair ran things, and you know, he he ran things with an iron fist. Now, does that make him a cruel? you know, bully who broke up families, who knows? But, you know, what about North Melbourne? They've built an entire, they've built their entire football department around him now. The innocent bystanders. Well. What do you do if you're North Melbourne? Well, it's funny because, you know, did did they have, they obviously, they didn't, did they do any due diligence on Alistair Clarkson? And would all of this have come up? If it's not true, then it wouldn't have. But should they, if if some of the allegations are even 10% true, should they have known about this? I mean, all co- as I said, all coaches are dictators to a degree and they're all a little bit crazy. The job makes you a bit crazy. So they're unusual people. But, you know, I've never seen anything like this. Well, I, I, I can't stop thinking about North Melbourne. How do you actually get everybody... Who's, 
I mean, I gather Todd Viney is taking, will be taking training and, and, and looking after them over the next few weeks, but how do they build for season 2023 when they have no idea? And, and also just the horrendous allegations and the stories that we read, you know, broken by um, Russell Jackson on, mm. on the ABC last week. It's triggered a lot of horrible memories for a lot of people. Yeah, well, well, it will be interesting to hear if there are more Hawthorne players of that time who come forward and say, oh, well, whether they're Indigenous or not Indigenous, and say, well, actually, I witnessed this or I did not or Clarko's a great guy or he gave me a hard time or it'll just be interesting to see how things unfold because, as you say, it does trigger off memories for people and... Um, and that, and all of that has to be acknowledged. Everyone's pain, if there is pain, and um, well, it's certainly, a, it's this, an amazing story. And people who have been the subject of ra- of racism read this stuff, and you know they get traumatised all over again. I'm talking outside the footy sphere. People who've had family planning tragedies. I mean, there's there's so many threads to this, Corey. But you know, at the helm, you've got the CEO of the AFL, who was, let's face it, on a victory lap, just signed the richest media, TV, sport media deal in Australian history. When you were at the ground, did you see him sitting there with, um, on one side he had Lachlan Murdoch and on the other Kerry Stokes? I did. I did. Said it all, really? I did. I did <laughs> see that. Um, yes. Yeah, look. Um, so, he, so he's postponed, Gillian McLaughlin has postponed his well, he'd already, he'd, he's, departure? He, he says not. He says that he was always going to stay until everything got done. He's still got to do the men's pay and women's pay deal, the collective bargaining agreement. And he's got to get Tasmania over the line if that's going to happen, which I think it is. So, which we, you know, we started campaigning for Tasmania, Corey, on this podcast well, a long Cara, time it's ago. It's very kind of you to bring me under the under the tent there with that one. But you actually have been in twenty seventeen. We I know, started you've talking, been talking about, about this. it, and I've been supporting you. But it's, it's your campaign, honey. It's all yours. Hey, listen. So um, anyway, he he'll have they, oh, he can't he can't sort of leave in the middle of all. So of this. tell me about the recruiting for his new role. Uh, is it Brendan Gales? Are there any women in the mix? What have you heard? Well, the story around was that Kylie Watson-Wheeler, the chairman of the Western Bulldogs, uh, president, chairwoman of the Western Bulldogs, was in the mix. Friend she, of the podcast. Yes, she denies that. Um, the two internal candidates are Andrew Dillon and Travis Auld, very, very much in the mix. I would say at the moment I would have thought Andrew Dillon had his nose in front. Um, Kylie Rogers was mentioned earlier commercial boss at the AFL, but I don't think she is going to go for it this time around. A lot of club CEOs have been interviewed. Brendan Gale, who I think have always felt would do a brilliant job. Um, Simon Garlick from Fremantle. Tom Harley, very impressive former Geelong captain now running the Sydney Swans. Had a bad day last Saturday, but he's a very impressive um, younger candidate. And Dave Matthews who is, was, was an AFL executive now running GWS. So, Who's your tip? Well, bizarrely, Corrie, there's not even a shortlist yet. There's oh, not okay, even, so it's just, it's September. They've all <laughs> the been se- in. We've only got another five months or six months before the footy season starts. Good on you, AFL. You're really uh, and, you know, powering up the process there. I have an issue with the fact that there are already two commissioners short because um, there are two vacancies that they didn't fill from the start of 2021, and now Andrew Newbold stepped aside, so that's one less commissioner again. There's hardly – it's a very small commission. None of them have any – some of them have um, been on club boards, but none of them have got football experience, full-time club experience or playing experience, and that 
worries me, Corrie. Well, so, um, and I think they've delayed the shortlist because they want to. They don't want to put a deadline on what Gillen's got to do because he. I think he feels that if he's got a deadline, people will try and screw him on certain deals. Well, I think you could have it down to a shortlist by now. It was only what six, five months ago he told us that he was leaving, so they've only had five months to think about it. But this Hawthorne but, thing has made people change their mind. They've sort of said we need new blood at the AFL. Now, why that sort of relates to Gillen McLaughlin, I'm not sure. But his tenure at the AFL has had some brilliant moments, but it has been bookended by two racism scandals, Adam Goods and now Hawthorne. And I just, the the thinking is that someone like Brendan Gale would be just, I mean, I know he's from football, but would be new blood and a new broom and a new look at the way the AFL does business. So, Well, I've to, I think I've told you before that when I was on the AFL Sports Ready board, uh, gosh, about 20 years ago it must be now, Brendan was there as a player representative. And even then, as a young man, I found him... Um, he did his homework, he was thorough, he was a good communicator, he was a warm person. Our role was to think about players and their life after football. He was very intuitive about that. I thought he was a, he, I thought he was a ripper bloke. Carol, I tell you what, though, it, it, there might be a dearth of great talent in the AFL at the moment, but I had the privilege of I don't attending. Think, I don't think there's a dearth. <laughs> there's certainly a dearth on the commission of Well, that's what people. I'm at the top. Um, but let me tell you, I was... Uh, hugely heartened and privileged the other day to be uh, to be asked to attend the Essendon Women's Network annual grand final lunch, which is the Great Debate Lunch. Uh, I was asked to be a judge, one of the judges of the Football Woman of the Year, which wonderfully was uh, the main award was given to Kelly Underwood. We'll talk about her in a moment. But the, there are other awards, as you know. Um, there's a community award and there's a, a, a Young Achievers Award. The talent of the women uh, we, we judged in each category was impossible to deny. It was overwhelming. And we had a wonderful judges session and chatting about the different uh, candidates. And we came away so heartened and so impressed by this extraordinary talent that's coming through, not just understanding of the game, but business practice, business acumen, um, uh, sense of community, all that stuff that we talked about last week. What is it about footy? Is it about winning premierships or is it about being a, a cohesive club which has a great community spirit? But on Kelly Underwood, um, she had made a great speech and uh the, the other candidates in her category were all outstanding as well, and they will all win this award as time goes on, I have no doubt. But Kelly Underwood, when when we looked at her CV and thought about her achievements, she's just she's she's a bit like you kind of 20 years ago in in the broadcasting world. She's just broken so many barriers. Well, she's broken. She's called the game, which she's is something I would, would have not a hope in hell of she's doing. She's called it's the game. very difficult. And I can remember when I, the first season I covered footy and um, somebody interviewed me because it was such an novelty to have a girl covering footy. Someone interviewed me and they said, so how would you feel about calling the game? And I, I just remember saying, I would be terrified. I will never do this. I would rather stick knitting needles in my eyes and ears. No, thank you. And there's Kelly who, who does it every week. Who, but she's just such a warm and wonderful person. What a terrific ambassador for the game. He is. He is. And um, uh, having judged that award myself for many years when it was just one person, one football woman of the year, we used to meet in Florentino, Linda Desso, who ran the Essendon Women's Network. She's gone on to bigger things now. She's the governor of Victoria. She would get me and Andrew Dimitriou, who was then running the AFL, and we'd sit down 
over coffee that she purchased for us and we would choose the winner. It was now to, to see where it's come. And I think very – well, back in 2000 or 2001, I actually won the award and had no idea when I turned up at the lunch that I was going to win it, wished I'd been able to prepare a better speech. But anyway, um, and I said to Kelly – um, how was it? Um, she said, oh, well, you know, I'm, I did the motorcade. I said, what, you did the motorcade at the grand final? Didn't you see her? Well, I, well, sorry. No, I didn't because I was on radio at the time. Oh, well, she she went around the ground. No, With the Oz kicker of the year. It's become huge. It's and become she took huge. her daughter, Tessa. And listen, can I just tell everybody, I reckon the highlight of, of grand final week, and there are many, uh, would have to be the Essendon Women's Annual Lunch. Sadly, because of COVID, it sapped a lot of their energy and their club is in a bit of disarray. It was disappointing to see so few directors there, <clears throat> Essendon. But um, nonetheless, they they galvanised. I think there were five or 600 women was there. Was David Barham there, the president? Uh, no, David wasn't there. But it was just uh, it was just a fabulous group of uh, women and quite a lot of blokes as well. The, the debate was hilarious. If you ever get a chance to buy a ticket to this thing, um, and you can, I think, it's open to anybody, just put it in your calendar for next year, ladies, mostly, gentlemen too. It's a great – what a cracker day. I had a ball. I, had a, I wore red and black, which is my mother oh, always Corrie. said, you shouldn't wear those two colours together. You look like a tart. It I is, told Shelley wear that, and she said, oh, I think you look great. <laughs> Forget the tush. She's a former winner. There are so many um, – there are – look, it, it's all, I agree, it's always a great lunch. The comedy stuff was always really, really funny. I can, and, I can, I can see how you, you, you who go to so many Crown events, it's just like one more chicken breast. No, I, I think it is fantastic, but the Thursday before the grand final, and there's usually – there's always a big story around the time of it happening, and so you're getting everyone's different take on it, and this year it was the Hawthorne stuff, plus Essendon, of course, are searching for a new coach who I'm conv- I've been convinced for a while will be Brad Scott, who, which I think is a great appointment, the brother of the current premiership coach. Walking into that room, the, the shock about Hawth- the Hawthorne news, which had broken only a couple of days earlier, was palpable. And Auntie Joy Murphy, the Wurundjeri leader who gave a beautiful welcome to country, actually touched around this around the subject of her people were hurting that day, and uh, di- you know didn't didn't hammer it home, but it was just very sensitive, and there was hardly a dry eye in the house as she spoke. Uh, a lot of pain in her community, but it was a great day. So well done, Essendon and Caro. Um, we just, don't say want to say too much about the game because it was a blowout, and they often are grand finals. Did you have a good day though? Well. I mean, I was I was working, but then I went upstairs just in time to see Robbie Williams, who was just extraordinary. Jump I was already on. I was already in tears. How good was Delta when he started singing "Angels" and dedicated it to Shane Warne? I mean, it, it really. How did the and, voice go off? I was wondering. Oh, is everybody kind oh, of with no. John Farnham having a moment there? Or oh no, did they it went, work. Oh. Nuts, did it? Oh, Corrie, it was so beautiful. I mean, what a lovely thing to do, to pay tribute to someone who is recovering from cancer surgery. No, I agree. And A million dollars helps too. The voice is just a, well, I mean. He was paid to put on a great gig, wasn't he? And he put on a great gig. He put on a great gig. I mean, you know, it's what the grand final needs. I don't believe it needs to be held at night or twilight. I know there's a lot of people who think it should be. I think the reason the ratings were bad was because the game was a dud. And um, unless you're a Geelong supporter, and there aren't that many Geelong supporters, I mean, the Richmond GWS grand final, which was the last one at the MCG pre-COVID, that didn't rate all that well either. But there were probably more Richmond supporters than Geelong supporters, so they more people stuck around. It was 
look, it was an extraordinary day. Um, the beginning was incredible. Joel Selwood, who's now retired, another emotional moment in footy this week, running out with little Levi Ablett, Gary Ablett's son, who, you know, has obviously had a lot of challenges as a tribute to Gary. The Robbie Williams, you know, seeing Shane Warne's children up in the Shane Warne stand. Oh, that was beautiful. When he sang Angels. And the John Farnham was just, oh, I, everybody stood up and started singing. Well, I was singing at home. <laughs> It was, um, but I wondered how I wondered how it translated with the crowd uh, because we're very loyal to John with that song, and I thought, oh, you know, here here comes Robbie Williams just flying in with his big paycheck and singing it. But when he when he oh. started, no, he sounded great. He he did it. He delivered it brilliantly. Yeah, and no, the bagpipes. Oh, it was absolutely beautiful. And um and then you know even at the end when the game was over and it was just shattering for the Swans, you know the. Their, their captain who spoke, Dane Rampey, was so gracious. Yes. Particularly about Joel Selwood and about Geelong. And, well, you, you, know, said, you said about Tom um, Harley. Tom Harley before. Uh, it made me think about what fine young men Sydney is producing and how gallant in defeat they were and gracious. And, and that all comes from the top, Caro. That all comes well, from even, the top. Even, even their supporters, as Chris Scott said, you hung around and you could have left. But they all stayed at the ground watching the medal presentation, which was extraordinary. And, of course, Joel Selwood speaking so well at the end of the game and bringing the water boy onto the ground, um, you know, shots, of, um, scenes that have been shown around the world of international sport and elsewhere. So, and can, can I just also say a bouquet to the Geelong Footy Club players for a really brilliant Mad Monday moment when they all dressed as seniors because, of course, they've been written off all year for being the oldest team. Uh, how on earth could they possibly play in the grand final? And they did and they... Blitzed and when was, they all got out of the buses, geriatrics. It was very funny. Do you know where I tipped Geelong to finish this year? Tenth. <laughs> As I was reminded in a text message by a well-known Geelong identity, I, I, could, I, I wonder where I tipped. Could them. not have got it more wrong. Could I, I've not done have got that with it. a gang of friends. We actually predicted at the end of the year. I, I thought they. I um, I, I did Tenth, think. Gee. I did think they were too old. I didn't see players like De Koning coming up. Mm. I. Th- you know, that absolute thrashing they received at the hands of Melbourne in the preliminary final last year. And, I, and Isaac Smith, you know, former terrific Hawthorne player, has just gone from good to great to great. Uh, although I, he wasn't my tip for the um, Norm Smith. But anyway, well done, Isaac, and well done, Geelong. And uh, it was a great victory, and um, I hope you celebrate for weeks to come. Now, Caro, I think on that note we need to celebrate. We need to bring Miles in. Jane has the trolley ready and we are going to the Cocktail Cafe. Miles Thompson joins us from, uh, I don't know where you are in the world, Miles. You're not in the studio with us, but it's great to have you on the phone. How are you? I'm very good. It's very, very good. Thank you. Caro and Miles, you're at your house. Well, um, out of your pyjamas, please. We're here, We're me, and we mean business, and we want to explore with you your Spring Mixed Dozen highlights. Now, the Spring Absolutely. Mixed Dozen, Caro has already uh, gone down to Prince Wine Store and picked up her box, and she can talk more fully with you about what's in the selection, but I'm hoping that you might have a Riesling to chat about, Miles. So tell us about your Spring Dozen. Yeah, so, I mean, we do it, we do it about the same time every year, and it's always a mix of... Um, whites and reds and maybe sparkling or whatever I might feel like or a bit of warmer weather. Whites have a bit of texture and weight to them. 
that maybe can be a little more more interesting. A lot of those aromatic white blends, I think we talked about the Yee Blanc, things like that. Tell us about the Valentine Riesling first of all, because Corey wants to try that. And I've looked at it, but I haven't drunk it yet. But it, it looks like a, a good value bottle of um, wine. Yeah, Dom Valentine Riesling. Great little young, young sort of youngish winemaker. Concentrates on wines out of the Yarra Valley. That's where he's from. Um, and this is off a single vineyard that I think he's been sourcing for quite some time now. You don't see a ton of Yarra Riesling, so it's they're, they're definitely around. But he's been making this for ages. Uh, beautiful old vineyard and lovely sort of textural style. It's maybe not as find the stuff from the Riesling, particularly from sort of Victoria, Yarra Valley, things like that. They're a little more textural, have less of that lime, lemon zest sort of thing going on that you see out of the clear. And they have a little more sort of tree fruit, apple pear, mineral kind of element going on, little sort of white pepper thing. Yeah, really fantastic. Maybe not quite as intensely aromatic. They remind me a little more of sort of... Um, European readings, maybe Austrian readings, those dry sort of textual styles. And this is this has lovely sort of clean fruits, lovely almost chalky sort of texture on the palate, um, that lovely sort of apple and crunchy sort of air thing going on, and that lovely sort of white pepper spice, really delicious. And how much does that retail for, Miles? That one is about $24, if I remember rightly, but... Mm, you had, you had me at crunchy pear. I think that sounds delicious. At peppery apple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what's that? What's your second choice out of the mixed dozen, Miles? So I think we were sort of talking about before the Turner um, Brothers Pinot Gris. We had yeah. this the other night. It was beautiful. It, it looks like a, a pale rosé. Yeah, that's right. They, you see that a bit these days. It's become quite popular. To It's just a little bit of skin contact. They just leave it on skin and it... And Gris has a lovely sort of amber, sort of pink salmon hue to the skin when it's ripe, and it just takes that on. Um, again, same sort of thing with the Riesling, gives it a little bit of texture, gives it a little bit of sort of pithy kind of feel in your mouth, and that has a lovely sort of Gris element again. It's kind of like citrus and tree fruit thing going on. Nice midway style, it's not too light, but it's not, it's not heavy like Chardonnay, it sort of sits somewhere in the middle, a little bit more weight than sort of Riesling. But yeah, Kerner Brothers, their um, family out of the um, out of the Clare, uh, and they make a bunch of really cool cool Rieslings, obviously, and then some really fantastic, interesting reds from Sangiovese, um, Malbec, whole bunch of things. They're really great. You can check them out. They've got a really pretty solid range of really interesting, very funky, very cool, very modern style Australian wine. Everything they do is great though. Well, that was beautiful, Miles. Tell us how, how much that one costs. Well, I think that's about the same price. I think that's in that sort of 24, 25 range. I hope that we can try a couple of these uh, from your spring mix, mixed spring dozen when we have our big night at Prince Wine Store on October the 26th, Miles. Might have to pick something out from one of our favourites. Brilliant idea. So that's uh, Wednesday the 26th of October, Corrie, between 5 and 7pm. We will be at Prince Wine Store in South Melbourne. Miles will be there too. We'll be trying wines. We'll be having a chat with everyone and we really hope you can come along. We can't wait, Miles. And, of course, if anybody wants to have a look at the, the spring dozen that Miles has recommended, you can jump onto the website, princewinestore.com.au. And, Miles, as usual, you're giving our gang a 10% listener discount. How do they access that? Uh, put in the code MEWS 
in your cart, so don't shoot the messenger for MWS, and you get 10% off for the wines in your cart. Thank you, Miles, and uh, we look forward to having some more spring wine discussions next week. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. And that was the Cocktail Cabinet. Thanks, Miles, for great recommendations, Caro, once again. Now, we're on to book, screen and food. And, of course, we have to acknowledge our other sponsor of our podcast, Red Energy, who we love. They're powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? Can I just say, Red Energy, I'm sorry I was late paying the bill this week. Um, They sent me a very nice reminder, but um, it's all done now, okay? Okay. too much information. Carol, before you go on to your book, and I'm dying to hear about this one, I just wanted to um, uh, send an apology to Mindy Williams, who is, uh, like Miss Jane, a wonderful producer. She produces the book pod, which I do with her. And she said to me the other day, I can't believe you spent 15 minutes reviewing Jock Sarong's The Settlement, and you did not mention that you've interviewed him on the book pod, and you didn't plug your own product. Yeah, well, I forgot. But anyway, it's on the book pod if you'd like to hear that 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 interview I did with Jock about uh, the settlement. And um, yep, sorry, Mind, I'll remember to to um, to keep plugging that. Now, Caro, you have a book to talk about, and we have a new film coming out based on this book. We do. Um, we won't be interviewing this author because he's no longer with us. His name is Paul Gallico, famous oh, yes. famous American writer. He. Um, it wrote a series of books about Mrs. Harris and the one I have just read, my sister lent me, um, it's come out, it's, there's a new edition out because the film is about to be released with Leslie Manville, beautiful, beautiful actor who's currently also appearing in Sherwood. She's just a, a brilliant English actor. But Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. There were follow-ups. So I think Mrs. Harris then later on went to New York and Moscow. There are series I think he wrote in the 50s, Paul Gallico, fascinating life story, Paul Gallico. But anyway, um, he's basically... He was, jo- was he a journalist? He was a journalist for the New York Daily News. He was born in New York in 1897 or something. But in um, And he worked for the Daily News up in, between 1922 and 1936. And then he, then he moved to the UK and settled in Devon. And he lived in a house right in, in Sulcombe, which is where I stayed, um, as you know, after the London Olympics. And the house is still there and is available for rent. It looks amazing. Aren't we walking there next year? We Aren't might we be. doing Devon? It's got water views. He lived there with his Great Dane and about 20 cats and his, well, they're called PAs now, but his secretary lived in the cottage on the property and he dictated all his books to her. So the first big hit he had was The Snow Goose, story of Dunkirk, international bestseller. Of course, he wrote The Poseidon Adventure. Um, He wrote um, books about the little mouse whose Mm. name escapes me. Anyway, he wrote a lot of different books. But Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Look, it's an easy read. It's old-fashioned. It's obviously written in the, the 50s. Paul Gallico died in 1976, but so she's a, the story is she's a housekeeper, isn't she? She's a salt of the earth char lady who cleans for a lot of upmarket people around um, sort of Mayfair sort of area, and one day cleaning for one, she's got all these different clients. One of them's a down on it, down at heel actress. One of them's a very posh socialite. She sees a Christian Dior, two Christian Dior dresses in this client's cupboard. 
and it becomes her lifelong mission. When she finds out how much this dress costs, she can't believe it. She and her friend always buy lottery tickets. They do win the lottery, but it's not enough. And she makes it her mission to save up. She's a widow and go to Paris and buy a Christian Dior dress, even though she'll have nowhere to wear it. Um, there's absolutely – she couldn't justify the expense, something like 800 pounds or something like that back in the late 50s. But she goes to Paris and has a rollicking adventure. She, there's a love interest. Um, she does a bit of matchmaking herself. It's just a – it's a beautiful, easy-to-read story that doesn't necessarily have the fairy tale ending, but it's you, – just you're transported to – Paris in the late 1950s. And for her, you know, she's never been to Paris. It's a beautiful story. It's just beautiful. And the film's about to come out, I think, in October. So so, so you and I have seen the shorts to the movie. Yes. Do you think um, the Mrs Harris from the book has translated well? Is she the kind of person you imagined? Or did you imagine Mrs Harris being a little bit younger? No, no, she certainly, no, the age is right. I imagined her... I didn't imagine her as looking like Leslie Manville, but now I've got the book and it's the new edition with the film, with a shot from the film on the cover. I'm completely imagining Leslie Manville. Well, I finished the book now, but look, it's, you know, Paul Gallico was a very many and varied writer and his life is just incredible. And this house that he lived in and the books he wrote, all, you know, children's book, you know, adventures, you know, but Poseidon Adventure would have made him an absolute fortune. Because, of course, you know, the film rights, etc. Give me the theme song to the Poseidon Adventure. There's got to be a morning after. <laughs> oh, that's good. I Maureen was McGovern. That's right, it was. But Carol Lindley sang it in the movie. That's right. And do, you, me- and do you remember, the, I mean, the scene when Shelley Winters tried to do the underwater dive oh, and had the heart attack at the end? I know. Spoiler uh, alert. Gene Hackman, spoiler alert. Oh, and who saved the boat? Who was the hero? Was it Charlton Gene, Heston? No, Gene Hackman. Oh, Gene Hackman was the, so, yeah. Yeah, oh, it was a star. It was one of the first disaster movies. Oh, I loved the Poseidon yes. Adventure. Oh, yes, so did I. So uh, while we're talking about Screen Caro, you have been watching something on the ABC. Yeah, have you started watching Savage River? No, oh, Jane, Miss Jane's put her hand up. Oh, do you like it, Jane? You're very excited. I thought about. it was very moody and very Australian. I'm, I'm with it so oh, far. Oh, that's good. No, Caro, I have not watched. Our television for two weeks. So, you know, well, uh, we started it watching it and we went. It, it's Sunday night, ABC. It's a six parter. You look at the names involved Don McAlpine, Jocelyn Morehouse directing. You know, I thought this is going to be amazing. Now, the first one, um, a woman comes back to her hometown. It's sort of similar to a couple of other things that have been on the ABC in the last couple of years. Set in any state that we well, know? Well, Savage, it's set in Tasmania, but they filmed it, I think, around Warburton in Victoria. Savage River is a place in Tasmania. The landscape and the river is one of the stars of the show. She, this young woman who is played by Catherine Langford, who was in the, um, she was nominated for a Golden <coughs> Globe for 13 Reasons Why. She was in that Agatha Christie who done it Knives Out. So she's made a lot of movies over in America. She's a Perth girl, went to NIDA and has come out, come back to Australia to make Savage River. She has um, come home after being in prison and you learn pretty quickly that um, she was in prison for the murder of her best friend um, when she was very young, like obviously a teenager. So she comes back to her hometown to move in with her brother, who's a single father, and the brother's young girl. Um, there were so many great Australian How actors. How did she get out of prison? Well, she was... She's Exonerated. Just been, 
Well, no, not exonerated. Just she served her time, and she was very young when he went to prison. And you, the details are only slowly emerging of what really happened and why the friend died. But she gets the only place she can get a job is at the local meatworks, and um, very soon a body, the character played by Catherine Langford, is suspected. So. Um, another local woman who's made good in the big city, Virginia Gay, well known to you and I, she comes back to town to investigate. There's a, lo- a lovable local cop who's a little bit lazy. Jacqueline McKenzie plays um, the mother of the murdered girl. There were some brilliant acting performances in this show. That It put me off at the beginning, Miss Jane, because Virginia, um, sorry, Catherine Langford, who plays the main character, is so beautiful. She's extraordinarily beautiful. You cannot take your eyes off her. And you're thinking, this girl's been in prison for the last however many years, six, seven, eight years. She's in real life, Catherine Langford's about 26. So anyway, um, but apart from that, it's a bit of a slow burn and it's getting better and better. And I'm completely hooked now. I've got no idea that there's a um, a migrant camp, um, which is really interesting in itself. Um Oh, there's so many different threads to this storyline. It's it's great. A lot of men in it, but the other um, woman who's fantastic in it is Nadine Garner, who plays oh, um who we plays love. plays the mother of the former prisoner. Um, Oak from your favourite detective show. Yes, um, set <laughs> in Ballarat. Valet, Doctor Thingo. Yeah, Doctor. They tried to make Doctor. They tried to make another with um, Craig McLaughlin. Yeah, series um, involving. Not without Craig McLaughlin, and I don't think it really worked. But it was a really good show. Did and you see our friend Mark Downey has done a wrap on the second series of the Newsreader? The Newsreader, so excited! Soon. And also, everybody, just note that the Crown is uh, the next. The the I guess it's the final um, in the series of the Crown is coming out in a couple of weeks. What about Harry? You know, in the book, bit of drama there, as we predicted. <laughs> he's look. He's trying to rewrite some sections. Yeah, is that right? Uh, yes. Well, uh, look. And I checked that, Corey. I don't think he is giving all the money to charity for that book advance. Oh, that's what they said. Oh, no, I don't think so. I think that's that's income. But, how, I, but how prescient is – I finished The Palace Papers by Tina Brown. How prescient was, was were her comments toward the end about what was going – how it was going to unfold – after the Queen died. Wow. Isn't it funny? Did you read – you obviously read the book version like I I did. read and listened. Oh, I okay. read and listened. So I had the copy of the book, but when I was going up and back from the beach, I would listen to another chapter. So so um, I thought I still had about a quarter of the book to go when I finished it because the footnotes and the bibliography is so thick. It's a long book, though. Gee, it's fascinating. And the other day I met with um, one of the uh, the Australian representative, the publisher, and we were talking about the Sorrento Writers Festival. And I said, yes, look, I'd, and I'd also on my wish list is Tina Brown. And they said, yes, on your wish list and everybody else's wish list. Oh. <laughs> anyway, watch this space. We'll try and get it. Wouldn't that be fun? So my recipe comes from my friend Mandy. Mandy of Hardy Grant fame, who has been on the podcast before. And I called into her house the other day and she served this to me for lunch. Now, her take on it was it was a little too moist. Um, It's a zucchini slice. My uh, comment to her was that if we had had it warm and if she'd cooked, like if we'd had it served warm, that moistness would have... um, evaporated in the cooking so I think she absolutely nailed it with her um, with her amounts which I'm just going to quickly go through now this is Mandy uh, from taste of course taste.com.au but um, 
This is Mandy's zucchini slice. Five eggs. So uh, sorry, does Mandy is it Mandy's recipe or she just made it for you? She no, she made it for me. But but is she but, on the taste website well, or did she get it? From she the got taste? it from the taste website. But uh, she's done a, a couple little different things. So I'm just going to call it Mandy's zucchini slice. But it is actually from taste.com.au, which is a great source. Can I say if you're looking for recipes and you can't find any stimulation in your own cookbook collection? Five eggs, 150 grams of grated zucchini, 150 grams of self-raising flour. Mandy says it says to sift it, but she didn't. One large finely chopped onion, one cup of grated cheddar cheese, 200 grams of rindless chopped bacon, 60 ml of oil, cracked pepper to taste. Uh, combine the whole lot. Um, stick the, mi- the mixture, she says, can be quite sloppy, but you can add a little more flour if you like, but you don't want it to dry. And can I say, Carol, you and I have had a lot of frittatas and zucchini slices in our time that have been as dry as... Oh, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I actually haven't had that many dry, dry as zucchini don't slices. You remember, but don't you remember Campari and Hardware Lane? They used to have a ripper frittata, but yes. it was often quite dry. You can't not. Oh, remember that table? You went and just bought, you had the antipasto for lunch. That was the most extraordinary place. It was before oh, its time. It was brilliant. You and I were having lunch there in about 1982. It was a brilliant restaurant. Um, Still going, I think. So she says, grease a baking dish uh, 30 centimetres by 20 centimetres and pour into the dish and bake for 30 minutes or until cooked through. And as she says, delish with a green salad in brackets. That was my idea and a cup of tea in a very nice china cup and saucer, which is what she served me. So that is a it is a brilliant zucchini slice. Can I just say also just on the issue we talked about a couple of weeks ago of toddlers who are reluctant vegetable eaters, uh, our Lib cooks this for Florence or a version of this for Florence and, and manages to stuff a couple of vegetables in her that way. Florence adores a zucchini slice or a frittata, so it's another good thing to do with toddlers. So take note. Granny Caro, when Sunday arrives from the Netherlands, good local get tip. cooking. Good there local go. tip. That was BSF for Red Energy. Thanks, guys, for supporting us. Caro, you are grumpy today. What on earth can you be grumpy about? Well, I started out being grumpy, but I ended up with a good local tip from many years ago, and I'm sure we've spoken before about possums. I mean, I, I loathe possums. This is like this is annual, and this is a bit like my road rules and road rage. They are the most disgusting animals. I'm sorry. Sorry, animal lovers. I just loathe them. I don't know. I I don't want to say things that might offend people, but there's a thing I would do with possums if I was allowed to. But my, I've got this avocado tree in my garden. It's the most beautiful tree. And because you need two apparently companions, I don't know if it'll ever bear fruit because it might be a bit cold here, but I'm told I have to wait seven years. I'm at about four or five, I think. So the tree outside my fence, which I've planted on a bit of a strip, is absolutely rocketing. It's got these beautiful blossomy things coming up at the moment, the most beautiful leaves. The one inside next to my veggie garden, possums have just eaten the entire top off it. It is, they've just completely devoured it. it it's completely denuded. It's so sad and I'm so grumpy about it. But I remembered, because I didn't have a dog for a year or about a year and a half after Billy died, I remembered the good local tip about dog hair. In the pantyhose stocking. Animal hair, yes, or even just in a plastic bag. So I gave Queenie a good brush last week and um, 
put said hair, she's not sort of a real molting dog, just a little bit, put a bag of hair, I mean, this is two, must be two weeks ago now, um, I've hung two plastic bags on the tree and there are, there are shoots, there are green shoots emerging. So I really think, and I know a lot of people have done the dog hair or other animal fur, other animal hair solutions to possums eating their whatever, their roses or their bougainvillea, or in my case, avocado. And I think it really does work. So there you go. Okay, so grumpy, grumpy about possums but happy about dog hair. Or you can and my ju- Christmas lilies are coming up too. They're all sprouting. Uh, I think um, I think also spreading some orange peel uh, underneath you, you said attacked tree might help too. But look, your, your avocado tree, Carol, is actually serving a purpose even though it might have been mangled by the possums because you need the pear to be creating avocado pears. So it's actually working in the cycle of life, just being there near your other one, companion planting. Yes, I just wonder if it will ever have avocados. And while I'm on the subject of planting, Miss Jane had beautiful poppies from her garden here last week. Miss Jane, you have to tell us how on earth you put them in wet newspaper for me. I took them home and they lasted in a vase for about six days. They were beautiful. Which And they weren't even that fresh, Caro. But any flowers I recommend, and Clem knew this, boiling water, 20 seconds. I don't know what it does, how it does it. Takes bubbles out the stem. And I reckon it gives you at least three days extra. But yeah, I wish I'll bring you some next week, Corey. <laughs> Thank you. I get left out again. Um, that's okay. Okay, so on to six quick questions for Red Energy. My question to you, Carol: Have you ever been hacked? Um, <clears throat> I haven't ever. I'm I'm not an Optus subscriber. Are you an Optus person? No. So we haven't been um, compromised there. But my um. I did my tax the other day and um, I was given the rather disturbing news from my accountant that my tax file number's been compromised. Oh. And he's given me a phone number to ring. Well, you know, speaking of, you know, speaking of grumpy, do does any is anyone going to answer the phone? I don't know what it means. Oh, it's like my gov ID. Don't get me started. I don't know how, why someone would want my tax file number or why it's been compromised or what it means. Well, you're a very famous person. You probably earn lots of money. Somebody wants to, I don't know, get into your system somehow. No, I don't think that's the case at all, Corrie. It's a very um, weird thing. But, um, but no, I've never been ripped off by any of those... Um, you know, scams where they get your, um, you know, get, no. get your bank details or anything like that. But the bookshop used to every second day receive an email saying that I had either uh, my relative in Zimbabwe had died and left me a fortune. Could I contact? Or indeed, from a Russian, oh, yes. a, a Russian yep. female, allegedly a female, saying that she wanted to come and live with me and look after me in my old age. But I haven't had any of them on, you know, since the bookshop email disappeared. My mother had a weird one where they rang her up and they were at the police station and they wanted it was they'd been broken into. There are some strange things people do anyway. Horrible, Corrie. What is your recurring year twelve exam nightmare? Well, it's that time of the year. Although it is. this recurs, this this dream recurs throughout the year. But I am thinking of everybody studying for year twelve exams. Good luck, kids. Um, my recurring dream is that I'm walking into the then HSC for us English exam trying to explain to the teachers at the door who are going, shh, shh, going to go and sit down. I'm trying to explain to them, look, I haven't read the six books because I have a job, I have kids. The other night I had it, I'm explaining about grandchildren. 
So clearly I'm getting older in the dream and I'm saying, I haven't read the books, but look, have you got a copy of it? Because I'll do a quick read. I'm, I'll be good. And they're just looking at me, get into, get into that exam room. And I haven't read the books, Carol, and I've got to write on Wuthering Heights. Oh, you, you know. <laughs> or varying combinations of that theme. And I, I, know, I, have, I, know that, I have that dream, I know, not I exactly spe- that one. I but. speak to friends who have been to university, uh, which is basically most people I know, uh, and I didn't go to university. And um, they say that they have these recurring dreams with their law exams or their medical exams or whatever it is that they've done. So clearly it's something that we all have. But because you and I stopped studying, well, if you call RMIT studying, I don't, but no, we, <laughs> the journalism we course didn't have, we exactly did. exactly have a golden but, career there. But but my thing is, you know, year 12 is, is, is my go-to whenever I'm thinking about exams and boy, oh boy, has that stuck with me. Well, my, my mother's the same because she... She went to Melbourne University but dropped out and um, she um, missed her year 12 French exam. Oh, I ever told you that story? No. She thought it was on in the morning and it was on – sorry, she thought it was on in the afternoon. It was in the morning. And she <gasps> got. She realised um, an hour into the exam that she had missed it. So she didn't get to do the exam and she still in her 80s has nightmares about missing her year 12. Back then it was called, well, it wasn't even called HSC. Maybe it was called... Um, matric. Matric. She missed her year 12 matric French exam and luckily enough um, also did Latin and I think did well enough in Latin to get enough... Wow. ..to get into Melbourne Uni. Um, wow. But she, Good effort. Yeah, but she, I remember when we were kids, whenever she left her electric blanket on <laughs> three and fell asleep, she'd have a nightmare about missing her. Missing her French exam. Well, that's but that, and that's that's just awful. That is just awful. Anyway, these things, this stress doesn't necessarily occur for school kids now because, of course, they have sacks throughout the year. But yes, that's my recurring dream. Caro, ah, oh, do you love or hate reunions? Speaking of, I love reunions. Did um, you love last night? I love the Would Sunday you like age. To tell reunion? our listeners where we were last night. We, well, the Sunday age was a, a golden period in our journalistic past, Corrie, where um, for a short period, Melbourne. Basically, Victoria announced in the late 1980s the launch of three Sunday papers, the Sunday Age, the Sunday Herald and the Sunday Sun. So there, it was before the Herald Sun had merged as, um, as a Sunday paper. And it was before – and these were very separate organisations to the daily newspapers, which is sort of slightly different now. It was just a great time. Steve Harris was the first editor, followed by Bruce Guthrie, so many wonderful people worked at that newspaper, you and I among them. Um, Jana Tataro, who, what, what actually, was she the PA? Yeah, EA. I think, EA. But I think to all of us, essentially to the two editors, but we all seemed, if the, if the, if the copy machine broke down, I just yelled Jana and she'd come and fix it. So She was the heart and soul of the office. And she's the heart and soul of the reunions. She organised last night's booze up. Some of us drank a little bit more than others, Caro. They did, Corrie. Some of us had two martinis (laughs) instead of one, didn't they, Caro? Well, you didn't have one. So, you know, I was driving. It had been paid for. So what what could I do? No, look, it was a a great night. Some great people there. You and Um, Brendan were very jolly in the back seat as I was driving you home. Well, I was in the front seat, wasn't I? Uh, oh, yeah, you were. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, 
Brendan was going well, going well. But um, one one of the former editors, Bruce Guthrie, was there with his wife Chan Applegren, the brilliant food writer. Jeff Slattery was there. My Lawrence brother, Money former was sports there. editor, was there. Steve Perkin was there. There were some great names. Oh, it was some great, great people. Deborah Stone, Liz Porter. Look, I'm leaving people out. Ray Gill. It was just a John Sylvester. It was a really, really fun night, it and was. I, I love school reunions. I don't really have any other major reunions. I guess. I don't really... We might have a Don't Shoot the Messenger reunion in 20 years. I never... At the sunny side, what, retirement with three time. Of us, three of us. And Anna from the op shop and mum. Motley crew. <laughs> mum might be 110. <laughs> She'll be there. Um, okay. Um, Corrie, inspired by the Essendon Women's Network lunch and the great debate theme, which 80... Well, we don't know what the theme was, but you'll tell us. Which 80s song have you had on replay in your car this week? So the debate was, was footy better in the 80s? Oh, yeah. That was great. It was really fun. And, of course, because of the cohort, most of us being over the age of 50, the hands went right up when the big cheers who won. Of course, the 80s footy was much better. But each each of the uh, panellists came out to a particular theme. And afterwards, when I was driving back down the beach, I thought, if I was on that panel, what what would I have chosen? Oh, here it is. And I've gone for the Thompson Twins. Oh, was it? Was, did they play it? Hold me now. <laughs> oh, hold my heart. It's singing advisable on the podcast. <laughs> it's a great song, isn't oh, it? Oh, so it's a I've good had. Song. I've just had it on repeat. Uh, what? It is a really good song. Don't look at the film clip though. <laughs> I do remember the film <laughs> clip. If you look at the film clip, the song diminishes. There was With some those mullet haircuts. Terrible um, film clips. And I love that song. So, Caro, what possession are you most ashamed of at the moment? My car. It's disgusting. Oh, I thought it was going to be something naughty like your vibrator or something. <laughs> Corey, really? My car your is car. so disgusting. It is, in fact, um, a piece a piece down near the accelerator fell off the other day and it Often comes a piece. out. What, well, like a bit of, no, a bit of plasticky, rubbery stuff. Anyway, I asked Brendan to put it back in. He goes, normally he offers to do it. He said, your car needs a vacuum. It is just, it's been driving dog around. It has got dog hair everywhere. It's got crumbs. Have, it's you got noticed that, have you noticed that since we've puppied up again in the past year? Oh. So, we, so you and I had a year or two minus puppies. We did actually have a clean car. We had no companionship, but we did have a clean car. Muddy, wet dogs. Oh, muddy, wet and dogs. And I haven't been putting a rug down in the back. It also needs a clean on the outside. I also had a little scraping incident in the Channel 9 car park a few weeks ago. So the exterior is pretty bad as well. I'm just ashamed of it. I need to do something about it. So, Well, there's a long summer holiday ahead. You can whiz down to the local I think I might have to get the vacuum out. If anyone from Tesla is listening, um, there's a couple of us that could do with an electric vehicle, Carrie. Would you want to put your name on the sponsorship list? Oh, I'd love a Tesla. Imagine an e-vehicle. You know, I reckon actually a car... A car sponsor of this program would be great. <laughs> Free servicing. Do you know how much it costs to service your car? Well, yes, Jeepers. of course I do because I get well, it. It sounds serviced. like you don't care about your car. No, I, I've just been. It's. It needs a bit of love. Now, Corey, you're going to close the podcast with this week's amazing fact. I am. I'm. I'm continuing the floral theme from before, and this is about all about the tulips. So, the catalyst for this week's uh, amazing fact is, of course, Tesla's tulip farm uh, in Monbolk Road. Speaking Sylvan. of Teslas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
I didn't even know I segued brilliantly. I get there. their catalogue. I order a lot of stuff from them. Uh, their bulbs are great. And that uh, that wonderful annual event is on until October 9, Potties, if you want to get up to Sylvan and have a look at their beautiful Tesla farm. The, the Tesla Tulip Farm was the brainchild of Dutch migrant C's and Johanna Tesla, who arrived in Melbourne in 1939 and started growing tulips on their um, their small uh, paddock that grew, and they became Australia's largest family-owned flower farm. And each year, if you go to Tesla's, uh, the festival raises money for Red Cross and other charities, so that's worth doing. But tulips, Caro and Miss Jane, came from Kazakhstan. Uh, that's where they uh, originated. And they were picked up in the 16th century when that region was conquered by the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottomans took them back to Constantinople. And apparently, Caro, in Constantinople, now known as Istanbul, there are still magnificent tulip gardens throughout the city. I didn't know that. I've never been there. So that's apparently something to look out for. The Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, at one of them, at one point, gave some tulip bulbs to visiting guests from Europe, and one of the guests included the uh, um, the Viennese ambassador, who gave it to his friend Carolus Clusius, who managed the gardens for the um, Austrian emperor, and they ended up uh, in the Netherlands, and. They arrived in 1593, a huge hit, and that, of course, sparked the very famous tulip craze or tulip mania, which is still considered the world's first speculative bubble and subsequent crash. The tulip mania, you've talked about this on the podcast before, Caro, but it lasted from 1634 to 1637, where at one stage, if you wanted to buy a bulb, one bulb, it was five times the annual income of the average worker in the Netherlands. So how that happened, who knows? But eventually, of course, they were propagated and the prices crashed and, and a whole lot of people lost their money. And that was actually the end of the Dutch golden age, which we have talked about on this podcast as well. Did you know, Caro and Jane, tulips are a member of the Lily family? I did know that, Corrie. Did you? And that explains why I'm allergic to them. I often sneeze. Oh, look, they are the most beautiful. If they come into the house, they are beautiful. Some people are allergic to tulips. The tulip is the national symbol for martyrdom in Iran, and it has also in that country become a symbol of protest. In Christianity, tulips symbolise passion, belief and love. White tulips represent forgiveness so when you're rude to me, Carol, you can arrive at my doorstep with a <laughs> okay. nice bouquet of white tulips. Well, I won't do that if you're allergic to them. That'll make you even <laughs> – if you're already cross with yeah, me. Take this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and purple tulips represent royalty. And there are tulip festivals held around the world all the time in lots of cities, but obviously not at the same time because of the hemispheres. And that is today's lesson. Yes, well, a good a good local tip is if you're in Amsterdam or, you know – in the Netherlands, get get the train to The Hague, The Hague, however you pronounce it. It's a 40, 50-minute train trip, and you go through paddocks and paddocks of beautiful tulips. So if you April, May is the time to do it, my Lord. And the different colours, it's like watching rainbows. It is just beautiful. They are beautiful. In the ground. And our friend Fleur McCarg, the florist, of course, to stop you tulips drooping, if you're given a bouquet and you pop them in the vase and you realise a couple of days later their little heads are dipping, what you do is in the stem you insert a pin or a needle, probably about um, a centimetre below the actual bud and just insert it right through the greenery, just like a little hole right through 
and you'll get another, as Jane would say, another three days out of you, and they won't bob their heads down. Well, no, I, I've tried that, and I reckon the better tip is when you buy a bunch of tulips you, in the plastic or whatever they're wrapped up in, you sit them in water, snip the bottoms, sit them in water in the plastic or paper that makes them hold their form for 24 hours. And then you take the plastic or paper off. And by that time, the stems have absorbed all the water and they stand up straight and they don't droop. Well, that sounds a good idea. But if you're having people for dinner that night, you don't want the plastic on the table. You buy them the day before. Oh, well. And that, yeah, if you can, you know, you might. You, I reckon, the market might not be open. I reckon that's more foolproof. It was a tip. I like given, my tip better. Tip given to me in an Amsterdam market. So I'm, I'm going with um, that one. What a jolly, happy episode it's been today. And um, and even though we had a big night last night, we've got through it, Caro. That's great. Um, thank you to Miss Jane who has helped us along the way. And, Janie, thanks for finding the Thompson twins for us. That was just a guess. Um, and thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian Energy electricity and gas and of course Prince Wine Store. Thanks Miles again for your great contribution today. You can visit princewinestore.com.au at any time and you can click on Don't Shoot the Messenger page and all Miles's recommendations are there and don't forget you get the special discount. Please don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and if you would like the show notes, hit the sign up button on the Facebook page or if you're having trouble with that, just contact feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au don't forget, we love all your messages, brickbats and bouquets, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And, of course, don't forget the Dear Caro and Corey uh, bonus episode because our mailbags are groaning and we love going through your dilemma. So don't forget that's our bonus episode, which will continue on um, even though footy's finished. You and I are solving the problems of the world. Caro, great to see you. What do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy.